how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're vital. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Alex Mandel began his career as a composer at Pixar by providing the score for the Ratatouille DVD short Your Friend the Rat was later selected by Pixar creatives to write two songs for the film Brave, Touch the Sky and Into the Open Air, which became global hits. Today his work spans across films such as East Side Sushi, streaming like Super Giant Robot Brothers, and radio such as NPR's Snap Judgment Live, where he performed The Roots' MC Black Thought. Recently, he composed a score for The Inventor in addition to nine songs for the film performed by voice cast including Marion Cotillard, Daisy Ridley, Matt Berry, and Stephen Fry. This is, of course, the film The Inventor. In addition to his work as a composer, what's interesting about Alex is that he was also an animator at Pixar. This is a very unusual combo. We'll go into great detail about this later in the interview. If it's your first time here, make sure to hit that subscribe button. You can also get my first book, Ink by the Barrel, over at BrockSwinson.com. That's the book and audiobook. Without further ado, here is my chat with composer and animator Alex Mandel. I mean, I've been playing music since I was four. You know, I always did music. And around that time, I saw Star Wars with my best friend, David Brandt. And it just blew our minds, you know, in the theater. And then flash forward, I was just in bands from age 12 to age 30. And then my wife got pregnant. I had day jobs, you know, like a lot of us do. You got a band, you do the gigs, you record albums, you write songs. Some gigs are big, some are small. And then, you know, when my wife was pregnant, I thought, I've got to get a job that isn't that I care about. And one of my guitar students was an animator at Pixar. And he said, oh, man, you got to come down to the animation department because they're going to love you because yeah, I'm a pretty good guitarist. And so I went down there and jammed with the animators and they were like, you got to work here. So uh, there was a coordinator position opening up and I got an interview and I got a job. And I really, other than being a fan of movies and, and Pixar movies, uh, it was just a crash course in what's a shot, you know, what's a unit. Um, I mean, there was, what's a take? I mean, so many things that I didn't know. And um, pretty soon after I started at Pixar, I was just taking notes in editorial, you know, so John Lasseter would come in, Brad Bird would come in, Andrew Stanton would come in, Pete Doctor would come in, all these amazing filmmakers. And I'm just writing down what they're saying. And it's like a crash course in filmmaking from some amazing directors. So I very quickly realized this is like the best job for me right now. And, um, yeah, and then pretty soon after that, um, there was this incredible stock puppet um, bonus feature on the Incredibles DVD. I don't know if it's a hidden feature. It's like an Easter egg. And Roger Gould, the creative director, said, oh, can you bring a, find a keyboard and bring it to Mark Kobayashi, who's directing it? I'm like, sure. And I say, Mark, you know, here's how this works. And he's like, you should do the music. <laughs> I was like, well, I can try. And everyone liked it. And then Roger was like, well, why don't you do Mr. Incredible and Pals? which is, you know, an actual bonus feature. And I just did that and then played it for Brad Bird. And he was like, yeah, man, this is really good. And apparently and the people in my department were like, Brad likes it. You know, it was a huge deal. And so that, then I started to think, well, maybe, maybe I should do more of this. And then I just started, yeah, people would ask me, oh, you did that. Would you help me with my film? Dan Scanlon's first um, feature film, Tracy. And 
um, and then ultimately led to Your Friend the Rat. And that was Jim Capobianco's Ratatouille short. And at that point, word had gotten around, like, oh, Alex is good at this, and he's fun to work with. So Jim invited me to write temp music, which became the actual score for Your Friend the Rat. And then we were at Skywalker Sound with Michael Giacchino and Brad Bird recording a 16-piece orchestra. And I'm just, is this going to work? And it sounded great. you know. So, yeah, that was sort of the beginning of how I was writing music for film. But what I learned is a lot of the things I learned at, you know, in a band was very relevant. You know, you've got creative people, you're, you share, you love the same movies or the same music and you kind of get excited and you try stuff out and it's just fun. And um, that's how it started. And then you know, so I was at Pixar for 10 years and over those 10 years, it culminated me with writing two songs for Pixar's Brave. And that was again, Mark Andrews, who used to drum in the animation group would say, Alex, I have a screening in a week. I need a song. Okay. And it, I need another song. Literally one week, wrote two songs, and they wound up in the movie. So it was a good place to be a musician. You know, it was a good place to be a Star Wars fan. Because at Pixar, every lunch, if you didn't talk about Star Wars, at the end, someone would just make a Star Wars reference, and then the lunch would be over. So, <laughs> you know, it was a good place to be. Um, and, yeah, I learned at Pixar, they move you around. You know, so I started in the story and editorial department, moved all the way through the pipeline. So by the time I left, I had worked in most departments in in um, CGI filmmaking. So that was a, an education as well. So the very beginning, did you say you were were you like tutoring other musicians one on one? Is that is that how you met the first person? Yeah, you know, when in between jobs when you're a musician, like guitar lessons is a good standby. You know, because yeah. it's flexible and. So one of, yeah, one of my guitar students was an animator at Pixar, Scott Clark. He was there for like over 20 years. And he, you know, he was very casually like, you should come down, you know, jam with the animators. To put your, your teacher hat back on for a second, hmm. would you say you're just exploring your curiosities? Like, how do you teach these things that seem like coincidences? Or is it just like... Hmm having fun and showing some talent here and there when it's needed. Like, like in hindsight, it's very like, like you just kind of listed these things off, but what was yes. it like going through it? You know, there's, I think about this a lot with my kids, my teenagers, because there's that expression, you know, luck is opportunity plus preparedness. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's a lot to that because, you know, when you're in a band and you're learning how to write songs and learning how to arrange them and learning how to record them and learning how to work with a group of people and knowing some nights you'll play for one person and the next night for 3000. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. You just like, I'm just creating stuff. And I think that that prepared me for, um, you know, just the idea that you can't get attached to the result, but also I, I had skills, you know, I knew how to write songs and I, I'd done 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 songs by the time, you know, Mark Andrews was like, I need a song in three days, right. you know? So I think being prepared is really critical. And I think there were times where maybe I got opportunities and I wasn't ready for them, mm -hmm. you know, and that's hard. It's like, someone's like, oh, could you score my short and you don't know how to write for orchestra? You know, like, ah, I wasn't ready for that, mm -hmm. you know? But the other thing is that there were opportunities at Pixar just in part because 
there were a lot of people of like mind with similar references. We all had watched the same movies and the same TV shows and we liked the same things. And so there was like a, and there were all these talented people, you know? So this like the story artists who then became directors like Mark Andrews and Dan Scanlon. So it was a very privileged place to be at, at Pixar in 2003, 2006, 2010 you know, that whole era. So I think I was, it was a combination of, I was prepared to write songs quickly and I was, um, had some affinity and shared interests. So it was easy to, you know, it's easy to connect with people when you have similar um, interests and passions. But then, you know, later I did music for Snap Judgment and that was interesting because now I was dealing and uh, working with creators who were quite different. Their backgrounds were quite different. It was very diverse. They were much older or much younger, or people of color, people, gay people, straight people, just very diverse group of people. And to me, that was a great experience because I'd have a week to write like 80 pieces of music with 10 different storytellers and then get up on stage and it would go out on NPR for a million people. And there was no, you just had to be on and your feet were aching, but you had to just, you know, that prepared me more than anything to being able to work, find some common thread with whoever that person is, whoever that storyteller is, and just find the music somewhere in there. You know, that that was that was really uh, a really great experience, you know. Um, but I, I don't know if I answered your question, did I? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, we're, <laughs> we're just meandering a little bit here. I, I'm curious, too, yeah. did you... You know, we're talking about success mostly. Were there any failures that led you to grow? Because a lot of people are afraid to take chances because of failure. I'm curious if anything else happened like that in that time period. Oh, my God. Um, I do think that, I mean, being in a band for 10 years, you know, and not really getting any traction. I noticed we got good reviews, but that's because I think the reviewers were other musicians. You know, and so they were like, oh, this is really different. And this guy's a really good musician. But the band, you know, we didn't really go anywhere. We didn't get a record you know, at that time getting signed. Everyone wanted to get signed. Um, and we did have some record labels that hovered around that didn't pan out. So that, you know, after about nine, 10 years of that, I think that was a slow process of this isn't happening. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm, I'm failing at being the front man of a, of a band. And at that time, it did feel like a failure. But I think a lot of times what you don't realize is when you fail, you're gaining skills. And you're also learning something like humility. You know, hey, maybe I'm not a rock star. You know, maybe I'm a good musician. Maybe I like too many different types of music. A lot of labels would say, I like this song, but this song is like country and this song is like punk klezmer. And, the, you know, the, 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 that was a liability to have so much have promiscuous tastes you know i liked all kinds of music and i still do whereas it's like that liability that maybe the band failed was a, a real strength when you're doing storytelling for picture because you want to be able to plot any style and you want to like any style you don't want to say i only do this one genre yeah so i felt like a failure and giving up you know i'm gonna get a day job it just i was very fortunate that the day job I got at that point was at Pixar during an amazing time of creativity and like every, it was like Ratatouille and Wally -E and Up and Toy Story 3 and The Incredibles. I mean, there were so many great films 
and and we were aware of it you know i'm like this is crazy <laughs> like this is the next one can't oh no one's gonna go to see up it's just too weird they did you know it was just such a so there was an energy and a sort of feeling of experimentation and that definitely i grew to kind of become addicted to that like i don't want to do straight genre work i want to do stuff that's different i want to do stuff that's exciting and that's like me and jim really hit it off because we were like let's make like a really different kind of animated movie or yeah. a score that's you, you wouldn't normally hear in an animated movie and so that feeling of let's let's push the envelope because it will probably work out i think i learned that during that very rarefied period in animated filmmaking at pixar um but yeah they're all oh man there's too many failures to mention i i remember playing a gig in sacramento at this bar and just like there were like three people there and no one was listening or clapping and at one point someone clapped and i realized they were clapping because they were watching the basketball game <laughs> you know there were so many times that just felt like what am i doing and we're losing money no one's you know our, our followers aren't increasing and um yeah and then you know after brave you know i got laid off from pixar they were like well you're a musician so it was like this incredible peak followed by, well, you should be doing that, which in retrospect was a good thing, mm. you know, but painful and felt like a failure at the time. So I guess in short, a lot of the things that felt like failures, I learned something from, I think, yeah. in retrospect. But at the time, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, I've gone through similar things. I heard this quote the other day that it feels like it's a loss, but actually, you know, maybe the outcome is is negative but you are the output like it's all in you and you're kind of this next level you know did did i like that pixar movies take years to make did that change anything about your thought process this other idea i've kind of come across recently is like if you're writing a book and you spend 20 times the average person writing it it's possible like a lot of the average is like a thousand x the sales number so the leverage is insane did you find that true like is that something you kind of took after working at Pixar? Yeah, I mean, there were, there were a few things I took from, from Pixar. The first one was, you know, before Pixar, I would wait for uh, an inspiration to strike me. You know, like I have to dream a song or I have to be really just in a certain state of mind where I'm gonna create something of genius or whatever it is. And then you go to Pixar and everyone's there at 9 a.m. or earlier and everyone works till six or 6.30. And they show up and they're just brilliant and creative and they just work. And that was a that was eye-opening. It's like, oh, you just sit down and you produce stuff. And then yeah, Snap Judgment was another example. It's like, if you write 50 pieces of music and a storyteller says, I don't like that, you just have to come up with something on the spot. So that's on the opposite side. But at Pixar, it definitely was like, okay, these movies take five, seven years and sometimes they don't get made. You know, I had friends whose movies never got produced they got abandoned many directors who were replaced you know 18 months before release because that was the move like that was a, a big lesson but i've also noticed now that everything seems to take 10 years like i have a lot of friends who i mean jim and i started talking about the inventor more than 10 years ago you know my friend anthony lucero who directed a movie we did called eastside sushi we're just doing his second movie now 10 years later like everything takes more time than you think i went down to theater works where i had worked on a musical 
And I was talking to this playwright, great play. And I said, wow, it's so good. She said, I've been working on it for 14 years. You know, so yes, things take a long time. And like you alluded to, you can't always see it at the time. What feels like a failure at the time, you know, can be really useful later. This is another thing is like when Mark said, I want you to write a song for Brave. I said to myself, I've been through this. I'm going to write a song I like. I'm not going to try to guess what John Lasseter or the, the Brain Trust is going to like. I'm going to write something that Mark will like and I'll like. And that song, Touch the Sky, has been really successful. Like I still get messages like this song changed my life or when I was depressed, it like gave me hope. I mean, and so I feel like that what you learn from failure is you can do great work and it may not be commercially successful. You can do something you really like and it doesn't mean it's not good. It means for whatever reason, the stars didn't align, the zeitgeist didn't align. And so when you have those opportunities, you say, I'm going to make something I like. And then at least you're like, how do I say this? If I write a song I like and it doesn't get chosen, I'm like, it was a good song and I liked it. If you write a song you think someone's going to like and it doesn't get chosen, now you're really lost. Because mm. you didn't get the gig and you didn't even really like it, <laughs> if that makes sense, you know? So yeah, yeah. Look, it's easy to say in retrospect and it's not like, you know, I'm still going from lily pad to lily pad here from gig to gig. Um, but I do think you learn from failure, humility. You learn a lot of people, really talented people who aren't making a living at it or work on movies for 10 years and sometimes they don't get made. You know, you, it's important. It's, it's tough. You know. Was there, any, this may have been before your time. I forget what year it was. Were you involved or there when they were working on Newt, which was kind of an idea that fell through at Pixar? Yeah, no, Gary Rydstrom, um, who I'm still in touch with, and he's just an amazing guy. I mean, he was involved with that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's such a, it's so different than like the inventor. You know, the inventor, you're just piecing it together and trying to get this thing made by hook or crook. Um, you know, corporate commercial filmmaking, these budgets are massive. I mean, $200 million, $150 million, and, and double that if you include marketing. I mean, the stakes are so high. And so they have to make a decision like, is this director going to finish the movie? Or is this movie worth the investment? And they they make those calls. And those are, I would, I do not envy the people that make those calls, you know, because it's really painful. Um, but yeah, and I love Gary. Gary was an example of a director who did Lifted and he was, he had heard my music and said, hey, do you want to write some music for my short? And I did. I wasn't quite ready. I hadn't written orchestral music, but I learned to, and it was good. And, and he said, look, I'm not, thank you for this, but I'm going to go with another composer, Michael Giacchino, he went with Michael, who's a tremendous composer. And, you know, and I said, you know, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity. And I didn't get upset about it. And later he referred me to another job, you know, so I think it's important when you have those failures where you don't get the gig just to be gracious because mm -hmm. you don't, it's not personal. Great actors don't get cast. Great composers I've seen the list, you know, you're like, they're all amazing. One of them gets selected and four of them don't. Mm -hmm. That's nothing personal. It's just about 
bit or that moment or that person's judgment you know so yeah i was there for nude and some other things that got canceled um yeah it's always painful you know Mm -hmm. when people get their projects canceled for sure so you kind of had some pros and cons of kind of pursuing two career paths at the same time you don't hear the two that you went into you hear writer director maybe is the most common any did any, were any people telling you to kind of lean one way or the other it sounds like if you got your foot in the door you're maybe just talking about an instance but there's such a thing about marketing yourself today and being this one lane and like i'm a musician who does this style like you kind of said how did you kind of navigate those two water the waters of all that Oh, I still am, Brock. I'm still <laughs> navigating it, you know, um, but I, how would I answer that? I mean, I think now I've been doing music full time for about two and a half years, you know, but I've been in the movie business for 20, you know, so there was a time where after Brave came out where I had a lot of meetings, but I very quickly realized there's so much talent and there's so many people with more experience. And even if you get on a list, and there were people told me, oh yeah, we were at this company and your name was on the list of, we love the songs from Brave. We went with someone else, you know, so it put me on the radar, but it didn't lead to income. And I had to you know, pay my mortgage and, you know, I've got a family. So it was kind of just making the best judgment at the time. And after I was laid off from Pixar, I did music for a couple of years, but yeah, I wasn't making much money. I was doing cool projects, you know, Eastside Sushi, um, a short, a documentary called Snow Day. I was doing Snap Judgment, which was getting bigger. You know, we were playing, you know, for two, 3,000 person audiences and it was going out to millions, but I was making very little money. Mm-hmm. And around that time, an old um, coworker said, hey, I'm in, in New Zealand. I'm working on an Avatar ride. And we worked together on a Finding Nemo ride. He said, would you come work for me? And I said, yeah, I mean, you're at Weta working on Avatar, you know, Avatar ride. I'll go for a year, and then I stayed for six. That you know, five years at Weta. I wasn't planning on doing that, but you know, given what was going on, it seemed like the right decision at the time. And and in the background, I was continuing to work on the Inventor, mm-hmm. you know, in my spare time. And it was evolving slowly, and we were iterating and writing songs. You know, there wound up being nine songs in the Inventor. And so I had creative output, I had an outlet. And then at some point I got a call from Mark Andrews and he said, you know, the brave director. And he said, hey, I'm doing the show at Netflix. I want you to do the music. And so I said, thank you very much. And I left (laughs) my job and I did that. And then Jim said, we got the funding for the inventor and I've done that. And now I'm on to the next thing. So I think it was just like, making the best decision at the time that felt right and responding to the opportunities that came up and we'll see you know i it's hard to consider getting another job in film production but you know if i had to you know it's it's a skill set i have and i enjoy um but if i had my druthers i'd be doing film music if that makes sense Mm-hmm. Um, and the two feed into each other, right? You learn things in film production. What you learn is this. The people that just say, I got you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of that. You're so grateful to. You know, mm-hmm. so I always think of that when I'm in the music department on a movie. You know, 
you want to be the department that like I've literally had producers say we have no concerns about the music department. You know, thank you. I'm going to focus over here, put up fires over here. And so you always learn stuff being, and I'm sure you've learned so much doing this podcast and talking to all these amazing creative people. Like you learn stuff. That's, re, that's like a graduate course, better than a graduate course in filmmaking. So you, you learn when you're part of the industry, even if you're not doing the exact job you'd like to be doing. So some of that, it seems like you're you're open to what's happening. I've, I've recently tried to do it myself. I kind of came up with this phrase called like focused yet flexible, opening to what is yeah. opportunities and everything else. Yeah. Within that mindset is moving path to path. How are you also, you know, I'm sure you're working with other people, but carrying an idea like the inventor all the way to the end, like that's a that different skill set. Yeah, I mean, patience. Um, Jim Capobianco, the writer and director, you know, we became friends after we did Your Friend the Rat. It won the Annie Award for Best Animated Short. So when you, if you have a creative and like a, a success and you have a good experience doing it, then you wind up hopefully building these relationships and there's this mutual trust and respect. And so what that means is, you know, I always thought, I don't know if the inventor will get made. You know, it's it's about a, it's the end of Leonardo da Vinci's life. It's a part of his. If you read his biographies, it, there's very little information about it, and so it's just a fascinating topic. And Jim Capobianco is a brilliant guy, and artist and storyteller. So I just thought this is a creative outlet, and it's a friendship. It's a story that has meaning to me. I don't know if it's going to get made, and at some point you know, they got the funding and I want another song. I want another song. All of a sudden there's nine songs and I'm recording with Marion Cotillard and Daisy Ridley and Stephen Fry and Matt Barry, who's hilarious. Um, you know, that that's sometimes the stars align. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they don't. And I think for this film, creatively and artistically and musically, the stars aligned. And now it remains to be seen where commercially if the stars align, you know, the our, one thing about the strike is all our actors can't say anything about the inventor that it's coming out September 15th. So one of the, the commercial aspects of the movie, we can't lean on at all, mm -hmm. you know, all these great actors. So, yeah, I think, look, it doesn't make it easy, but I think as you get a little older, you see like there's certain things you can't control. So I just try to focus on the things I can control, which is, you know, I think that's, there's probably some prayers about that. You know, like, how do you tell the difference? What can you control? What can you focus on? Um, or what's just gonna make you anxious because yeah. you can't control it. Yeah, I find like whenever I'm waiting on a response for something, I feel really useless and I have to go do something else. You're waiting on some feedback, maybe. So it sounds like a lot of your career is right place, right time, maybe. Also, you're talented putting the work in. Any advice for those people starting out who have heard the phrase networking, but that sounds icky? Like, how do you just kind of make genuine yep. relationships in the business and meet like-minded people? God, that's such a great question. I mean... And it's hard for me to comment because I was in such a privileged place. I mean, you know, being at Pixar from 2003 to 2013, and you think about all the talent that was there, 
and Steve Jobs had designed the building so that everyone had to go to the bathroom in one place. You're oh, literally every one of those opportunities. I'd be walking to lunch and I'd hear, Alex, I need your song. You know, I need you. It's like, or I'd run into Jim. It was all in that atrium. So that is a very rare situation. I've been to, um, you know, when we were doing Eastside Sushi, we went around to these festivals. It was very hard to kind of meet anyone, even though we had a movie that was winning awards. It won 12 awards and you're the composer. So you're not the writer, you're not the director. You're kind of a, you know, secondary supportive character. And um, I don't think I made any lasting connections. So I think that's just challenging. I think what it's what helps is if you're a young artist i think you want to find other people you want to find people who are in your age group who are getting started and you hear that story over and over like these were my contemporaries the people that i've built relationships with they were people that we had shared movies and things we loved and shared interests and shared experiences i have a i have friends who are very successful directors, I never say to them, hey, can I work on your film? They know I'm there and I do the work. You know what I mean? I think that's part of it. Part of if you genuinely like people and you have shared interests, I think what ended up happening is when the decisions were made, those people were like, I know that guy. And like, I think he'll do a good job. Yeah, I, that's there's just some awareness, but man, that, I don't know how much that applies. And I'm finding that when I look at my list of directors, most of them were either I met at Pixar or I was referred from them to someone else. So yeah, all I can think is like finding people who you respect, finding people who's, you know, has potential. I mean, I did that with Eastside Sushi. I saw a rough cut of that movie, Anthony Lucero's first movie. I didn't know him. And I said, I'll do this on spec. I'll do this for free because I believe in this movie. I think it should be put out. I just would like you to hire real live musicians. Like get, I'd like to hire some string players. If you pay for that, I'll do it. So in other words, you're an entrepreneur. Mm. You're someone who knows how to spot talent and someone who's willing to take risks on bet on talent. Those are the, maybe a couple things I can think of. Um, but man, it's hard. It's hard. You know, you, there's a lot of people I see in there saying, yeah, I'm doing all these movies for free because later they'll hire me. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. I've had that happen too. You know what I mean? Like you, you, I've spent years working on a project and then the director didn't hire me for their movie. Mm -hmm. And that's their choice. You can't be bitter about that, although you'd like to be. I mean, and it's not just me. I've talked to other composers who said the same thing. Great composers. Yeah, I mean, I had this director and we won these awards together and then they didn't hire me. You know, so there's no guarantees. And I think if you recognize no one owes you anything, no one, you know, there's, they can cast whoever they want and not be bitter about it. That's a challenge. You know, that's not always easy to do, but necessary. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. 
Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.